welcome back. I'm glad you came back. I know I've been gone for a while. I've had a lot of out-of-town meetings and different things going on in my life, uh, ups and downs, and sometimes it just seems a little bit overwhelming. I'm a little sad today. Some of it is I hurt from my waist down. I've got a lot of cramping and just some fibromyalgia pain that's really causing me to hurt, and then that makes me feel a little gloomy. Um, I do struggle with some anxiety and depression, and I'm a little tired, and so it's kind of hard to get energized. The other problem, which kind of is tied together, is I've been reading John Piper's new book. That always makes you depressed. I'm only a couple of chapters in, and so I, this is not intended to be a full review, just some things on my mind. Um, it's a book on saving faith, and what is saving faith? Um, there's a reason why we confess our catechisms and confessions, at least the reason why I do. Uh, it keeps us on the path of orthodoxy. In our catechism, question 21, when we ask what is true faith, True faith is a certain or sure knowledge and a hearty trust. That's a trust that comes from the heart. That not only to others, but to me also. Forgiveness of sins and satisfaction is completely paid for by Christ. It's given to us by God only for the sake of Christ's merits. John Piper is adding something new. He's adding accepting Jesus as your greatest treasure. This goes in with uh, the heart of his theology. Uh, desiring God, of course, is how he's made his name for himself. Um, and I don't dispute that Jesus is the greatest treasure, uh, that we search for him as hidden treasure, as Proverbs tells us, as Jesus himself told us in the parable. But there's a reason why we have not included that in Reformed theology in our creeds and confessions. And the reason is this, and it's tied into the way I feel today. I don't feel like that today. Today I feel discouraged. I feel down. I feel that there is a distance there with God, with my affections, with uh, it's just common to my life. I can't speak for every Christian, but in reading through the Gospels and reading through the Scripture itself with the prophets, with Jeremiah and Elijah, Job, David, all of them had times when they were angry with God for various reasons. And when you include the highest affections, desiring God as your greatest treasure in the act of saving faith, then you only have two choices. You either drift away in despair, wondering if you're ever saved, wondering if God will ever love you, because you can't seem to work up enough affection in your heart to pass muster. The other thing that happens on the other end of the spectrum is you start to believe the hype. And you say to yourself, yes, I've accepted Jesus as the greatest treasure of all. And then you live in hypocrisy. 
contrary to what the apostles tell us, John says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness, all unrighteousness. And the whole, in their, their fear, uh, MacArthur starts his book with quoting uh, theologians such as John MacArthur and um, Wayne Grudem, uh, both of whom I have a, a, a quarrel with theologically. Uh, but that's not really the issue today. He's discussing lordship salvation, and all of them come out of this place of fear that someone is going to confess Christ as Savior, but then they're going to get away with sinning. Uh, the Catechism deals with this. Uh, once again, in the discussion in the 60s on saving faith, it asks, can those who receive Christ as their Savior uh, continue to live impenitent lives? Um, doesn't this doctrine make people careless and profane the free grace of Jesus Christ? And the answer is no, it's impossible for those who are engrafted into Christ by true faith not to bring forth fruits of thankfulness. When we are truly engrafted into Christ. We are filled with His Spirit and we begin to grow more and more in knowledge and in love for Christ, receiving Him as our greatest treasure, to use Piper's phrase. But that's different than saving faith. Saving faith is falling before Jesus and saying, Oh dear Lord, today I'm angry. I'm hurt. I don't receive you as my greatest affection. My treasures are all screwed up. Everything is backwards. My legs hurt today. I'm in pain today. Everything seems hopeless and, and dried up. Saving faith is coming again to the cross and saying, I believe, help my unbelief. Otherwise, all we do is we spend all of our time wondering if our affections are burning hot enough to be worthy of the name of Christ. That's not saving faith. Saving faith is the faith that Jesus says, whoever comes to me. I will never, ever cast him out. Those with strong faith, those with weak faith, those whom emotion is very difficult to express or even to feel, where they've shut off that part of themselves in order to survive because of trauma, those who struggle with depression and anxieties and fears, come to Christ and be patient. The Lord will cleanse our hearts. There will be a day when we stand before him having been raised from the dead in our new bodies that don't hurt anymore and we see him as he is and then we will know what those affections are until then we receive it by faith and we long for that day honest enough to say to ourselves maybe I'm not where I need to be. And maybe this is what Jesus came to die for. The second problem, what happens when you start adding your this to saving faith? Me as a pastor, suppose someone comes into my counseling session and I'm talking to them and, and they tell me that uh, they're suffering horrendous abuse at the hands of their husband. And if I have this view... Um, of, of Christ as our greatest treasure. I will find myself saying things like, 
Well, if Christ was truly your greatest treasure, you would endure being smacked around for a night in order to not offend him. And we end up hedging about the law with so many different rules and regulations. It brings tyranny into the church. It always does. And those churches that are heavy into the desiring God or John MacArthur's Lordship Salvation controversy, where you must accept Jesus as Lord as well as Savior, those are not arguments from the creedal confessional perspective of Scripture. Those are twists and deviations. And so you end up with churches that are oppressive, Churches that fill their congregants full of fear, dividing between the us and the them. On my side of the congregation are those who esteem Christ as their greatest treasure. And on the other side of the congregation are those that don't quite esteem Christ as their greatest treasure. These would be the publicans and sinners. These would be the ones who haven't really quite overcome their sins yet, not like I have. And I'm not saying that these ministers would openly espouse that, but yet that is what happens historically in those churches. You end up continually deciding who is worthy enough to fellowship with, who is worthy enough to be part of the body. And the trembling sinners with the trembling consciences, who knows that their treasure is in the wrong place that their hearts are not as steadfast as they should be, whose love is not as fiery as it should be, who struggle with different sins, disordered affections. They stand at the outside or they're driven away in despair. They get bad counseling. And they're left hopeless. This is why I'm sad today. I want the world to know that they don't have to bring themselves up to someone else's standard in order to come to Christ appropriately. Just come. Bring your broken hearts and honestly lay them before him. And I don't care how long you've walked with Christ. I don't care how long ago you made your profession of faith. Whether you've walked with Christ for 50 years or you've just embraced him last week. Just come to him in saving faith a week ago. It doesn't matter. In your walk, you will find times when you're down, you're discouraged, you're frustrated, you're hurting, you have the flashbacks of past terrors that creep into your mind, you become afraid, triggered, bring it to Jesus. Whoever comes to him, he'll never cast out. He's big enough for your anger, even for your anxieties for your depressions he knows he knows your business is with him the worst thing this was the great sin of the nation of Israel condemned over and over again by the prophets they said you didn't 
even inquire of the Lord. You thought you were too good for that. You didn't need to inquire of the Lord. You didn't need to bring it before the Lord. You could handle it yourself. And so you handled it by building your own altars, by building your own bank accounts, by building your own coalitions. And when the Lord sent famine, flood, disease, pain, sorrow, he said, and you didn't even inquire of me. In other words, you didn't bring your anger to me. You didn't bring your questions to me. You didn't bring your frustrations to me. You acted as if I wasn't there. You acted as if I was not sovereign in all things. And you acted as if I didn't care. This is the end result. I can't bring this to Jesus because I can't admit that maybe my heart isn't where it should be. Oh, but brothers and sisters, that's the gospel. Coming to Jesus and admitting my heart isn't where it should be. It's the first step of wisdom, of healing, and of grace. That's what's on my mind today. Have a wonderful day. And don't worry, Jesus is on the throne.